<laughs> well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here this evening. Glad to have you with us uh, there on our social media platforms, whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on Twitter there. Be sure to heart, to like, to share. Uh, subscribe there on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. You'll get those notifications when we go live. And want to welcome those who are listening on our phone live streaming. If you need that number or you just need that number for a, a small period of time, I know someone asked for it this morning uh, because they're going to be out for a little while. They won't have access to the Internet. Uh, so they're going to use that uh, for the phone live streaming. See me, we'll get you that number. You can call the church office. We'll be glad to share that uh, with you there also. If you have access to the church website at home, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download today's worship bulletin. Uh, lots of upcoming activities that are in there. Uh, and then also we have our children's worship uh, bulletins. So be sure to get those uh, downloaded uh, there. Share those links with anybody that you want. If you need printed versions, they're in the windowsill to my right over here. And then also don't forget uh, your prayer list uh, for this week. Uh, it'll be updated this coming Wednesday. Uh, but just want to encourage you to get that downloaded so you can be praying for those who are already on the list. And then don't forget, we mentioned this morning, it, we need some help. We've had a lot of people who volunteered uh, this morning. If you didn't get to tell me uh, this morning that you want to volunteer to help us pack those bags for the parade, uh, they're just some little uh, goodie bag kind of things that we're going to be putting uh, one of these, the Christmas story in, uh, and a little card about our uh, Christmas program, as well as a hot cocoa, uh, and I think that's it. And there's a bag that those will go in. So uh, we've got at least 2,000 of those to do. Uh, whether we have 2,000 of these to do, we don't know yet, but we'll see what they are able to give us from the TBC uh, for that. Uh, so we'll give out those easily uh, during the parade. Uh, if, and so if you want to help with the parade, uh, we didn't mention this this morning because we don't know uh, the times and everything we need to tell you when to be there. Uh, we will pick up our packet tomorrow uh, so they don't make the packet available till tomorrow. So we'll know what time if you want to walk in the parade with us and hand out those gifts. Uh, if you want to kids want to be on the float, uh, we'll post that and share that uh, through our through our. Uh, social media and things for you to be able to know what time and we'll share that again Wednesday night especially when our Awana uh, is back in uh, so that you'll know what time we need kids there on Friday for the float. Uh, if you want to help decorate we'll be decorating the float uh, this week over at Brother Jimmy's. I think did you get that pulled in today? No, tomorrow, so he'll get that pulled in tomorrow. We're still working on a few of the, the things that'll go on the float, so we're not ready with everything yet to go on it. Uh, the biggest piece of structure that'll be on it, so uh, bear with us with that. We should have that hopefully by Wednesday uh, completed and ready to be on the float by Thursday. So uh, if you want to help with that, call the church office. We'll let you know where we're at and what we need help with on that throughout the week. So just wanted to remind you of that and let you know those things. We'll share those times later. Brother Mike. Take your hymnals this evening and turn to 564, or watch the screens. Make me a channel of blessing. Ms. Rima? Is your life a channel of blessing? Is your love of God flowing through you? Are you telling the lost of the Savior? Are you ready His service to do? Make 
Take your Bibles, if you will, tonight and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis is where we are on Sunday nights, uh, going through the book of Genesis. And hopefully, as we go through the book of Genesis, you'll begin to understand uh, Genesis a little better, as well as how it lays the foundation for the rest of the Bible. And so, Genesis chapter 12... Verse 1 through verse 9 is what we're going to look at tonight, and we'll pick up with verse 10 uh, the next time. Uh, the, I've entitled this message tonight, The Promise, The Promise. Uh, and so we're just going to begin with verse 1. So if you would, let's stand and read verse 1 uh, in honor of God's Word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word tonight. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at the promise that is given to Abraham and we see his response of faith, Father, I pray that we will learn from his example, uh, although he's not perfect, neither are we, that we would learn how to live and how to walk uh, by faith in our hearts and our lives, trusting you with every aspect of our lives. And Lord, may you bring the blessings through that channel of blessing into our hearts and into our lives. So, uh, Lord, we ask your blessings on your word tonight. May it go forth and not return void. We ask that it will be powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword if there's sin in our hearts. May it convict us, uh, Lord, of our sin that we might repent of it. Uh, but Father, we pray especially that as your word tells us, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that as the word of God goes forth, may it plant seeds in the hearts of those who don't know Christ, uh, that they may come to faith in him. So we ask your blessings tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. George Bernard Shaw once said, if the other planets are inhabited, he said, then they must be using the earth for their insane asylum. <laughs> and that sounds a little bit funny for us when we hear that statement. But it does remind us of a sad fact. The world we live in is in a mess. It's in a mess everywhere. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And so the question is, what is wrong then? Well, it all goes back to the events that are recorded in the book of Genesis. Except for the account in chapters 1 and chapter 2, the first 11 chapters of Genesis record uh, one failure of man after another failure after another failure. Failures that are still being repeated even today. We find that the first man and the first woman disobeyed God and they were cast out of the garden in Genesis 3. Cain was murdered, uh, had, had murdered his brother Abel. Uh, he was a murderer uh, and lied about it in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, humanity became so corrupt that God cleansed the earth with a flood in Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 8. We read about how it should have been great after that, right? I mean, he got rid of all the people, uh, so there's less sin in the world. There's only uh, those eight who are left, Noah and his wife and their, his three sons and their wives. You would think it's going to be utopia now, but not so. Noah gets drunk, exposes himself to his son Ham, and Ham sins, and sin continues in Genesis chapter 9. In their defiance of God, we read last time in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11 that men built a city. They built a tower uh, to, to reach into the heavens uh, as symbolic of, of trying to be in charge uh, of their lives. And God had to send confusion to end the rebellion. So over and over we see in the book of Genesis, and we see still today, disobedience, murder, deception, drunkenness, uh, nudity, uh, rebellion. Uh, all of those sound pretty up to date, don't they? Uh, if you were God, what would you do with these sinners, these men and these women who you had created in your own image and yet they're sinning and they're rebelling against you? Most of us would probably destroy them, get rid of them. But that's not what God does. Instead, God calls a man and his wife to leave their home and to go to a new land so that he might give humanity a new beginning. And so because of God's call and their obedient faith, 
We're going to find out that Abraham and Sarah ultimately gave the world, the, the Jewish nation, the Bible, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Where would we be today if Abraham and Sarah hadn't trusted God? Now, we're going to find out they're not perfect. In fact, we're going to find out that they sin also. But God chooses them... God calls them for a specific purpose and a specific task. So, so look at these elements involved in their experience. The first thing is the call, the call. We see that in verse 1, uh, in the beginning of verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham. And so what we find out in, in some things about the call here is we find out when God called. Now, salvation comes because God calls in grace and sinners respond by faith. God called Abraham out of a land, out of a place of idolatry uh, when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, we know the, the term Chaldees is another term for the place of Babylon which we read about in the last chapter, the place of Babel, uh, which is the beginnings there uh, of the city of Babylon. Uh, and so he's calling, them, calling him out of Ur, out of this place of the Chaldees, this city that was devoted to uh, Nanar, the, the moon god. Uh, Abraham, he doesn't know yet the true God uh, and had, nothing, had done nothing himself deserving uh, to deserve knowing him, but God graciously calls him. Now look at Abraham here. Abraham is, is about 75 years old at this time when God calls him. So understand this, no, age doesn't matter to God. Age doesn't matter. Age doesn't need to be an obstacle to faith. We, he trusted God uh, for a hundred years. And from his experience, we ourselves can learn to walk by faith and to live to please the Lord. Abraham was married to Sarah, who was his half-sister. You find that out in Genesis 20, verse 12. And they were childless. And yet, God uses them to establish the great nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 2 says this, it says, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So you may think that you're little, that you're nothing. Who am I that God could use me? Abraham was just one guy who God calls, and out of that one man, he multiplies the people to become a great nation. Why would God call such an unlikely couple for such an important task? Well, Paul gives us the answer to that when you look over in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 through verse 29. For here's what Paul says. He says, For consider your calling, brothers, the same kind of calling that Abraham received. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Wow. 
God calls Abraham. Weak, foolish, still sinning, to make of him a great nation. He called Abraham after the Gentiles had failed and turned away from the true and living God. Man originally knew the true God, but they wouldn't glorify him. They wouldn't give thanks to him for his, for his gracious provision. And so we come from the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of the people here to chapter 12 to the call of Abraham. In other words, what we see back in chapter 11 and chapter 10 is that man had substituted idols for the true and living God. Uh, idolatry had led to immorality and indecency, and before long, the Gentile world was so corrupt that God had to give it up. And then he calls and sent the flood, and then he calls Abraham, the first Jew, and makes a new beginning. And so we see the, the, the when of when God called him. I want you to see also how God called. Now, we're not told exactly how God appeared to Abraham, but it was the first of seven times, seven communications to Abraham recorded in the book of Genesis from God. The revelation of God's glory would have shown Abraham the pride and the foolishness of the idol worship in the, in the land of Ur where he was living and where his family was living. I mean, who wants to worship a dead idol when you've just met the living God? The living God speaks to him and says, Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so God spoke to Abraham, and the word brought about the miracle of faith. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 10 says this, So then faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It was a call upon Abraham to separate himself from the corruption that was around him in the land of Ur. And Abraham obeyed by faith. True faith is based on the word of God. True faith always leads to obedience. So we always we want, to, we want to talk about faith, and sometimes we talk about faith as this idea that's out there, but faith is produced or shown at least in our, in our, in our works. It's given proof of in our obedience. And so God couldn't bless and use Abraham and Sarah unless they were in the place of his appointment, the place that he wanted them to be there in the land of Canaan. And so he tells them, I want you to leave this city of Ur. I want you to leave this land of Ur. I want you to get out of here, leave your kindred, leave your family, and I want you to go to this place that I'm going to show you. Now, that's interesting there because as God spoke directly to Abraham, uh, we find out that he doesn't tell him exact specifics. Uh, God spoke to Abraham directly, but today we hear the truth of salvation through the witness of his people. So we see some of the how God called it. We also want to see why God called it. Because there's at least three reasons why God called Abraham and Sarah. In his love, God was concerned about their salvation. And so he revealed his glory and he shared his promise of grace with them. 
Uh, but even beyond their own personal salvation was God's purpose in blessing the whole world. So not only did he want to bring salvation to Abraham and Sarah, he wanted to use them to be a blessing to the whole world. And that was accomplished when God sent his son into this world through the Jewish nation. Jesus Christ died for the sins of this world. And he wants his church to tell the good news to the whole world. But there's a third reason. Is this. The life of Abraham is an example for all of us as Christians who want to walk by faith. Because understand here, Abraham was saved by faith and he lived by faith. It wasn't just this one-time experience of faith back here where he trusts in God. It's also a living out of that faith. And his obedience was the evidence of his faith. So, so Abraham, when he didn't know where, when he didn't know how, when he didn't know when, when he didn't know why, uh, he obeyed God. And so should we. And so Abraham and Sarah, uh, they, we said this before, they weren't perfect, but their walk was generally characterized by faith and faithfulness. So when they sinned, they suffered for it. When we sin, we suffer for it. And the Lord was, all, was always ready to forgive when they repented. George Morrison said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. As we look at the life of Abraham and Sarah... We learn what faith is, and we learn how to walk by faith. And you'll discover that when you trust the Lord, no test is impossible and no failure is permanent. So often when we look at our failures, we think, that's it, I'm done. How could God possibly use me? But scattered all throughout the Bible, God uses people just like you. Not necessarily people who were kings, who had power. Not necessarily people who, who had all the good looks. Not necessarily people who, who, who were in places of authority or who had wisdom or knowledge. Many times it's just common, ordinary people that God uses to fulfill his purpose and his task. They mess up, they sin, and yet God still uses them. So no test is impossible no failure is permanent. <clears throat> so we see in, those, in that first verse the call. I want you to see in verse 1 through verse 3 also the covenant. The covenant. So, so let's go back to verse 1 again and continue on down through verse 3. So now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So one of the things I want you to understand here uh, from Abraham's example and from his life here is that faith is not based on feelings. Faith is not based on feelings. It's not based on how you feel. Uh, emotions are uh, certainly involved, but it's not based on how you feel. True faith is based on the Word of God. 
So always go back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God have to say? You know, so many people struggle with, with their salvation and sometimes begin to doubt their salvation because they're listening to their feelings or they're listening to the devil who's reminding them about their feelings. You couldn't possibly be of any use to God because of your sin in your life. And yet what you need to do is to go back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about how a person is saved and how a person is secure in that faith in Jesus Christ? True faith is based on the Word of God. And so God spoke to Abraham, and he told him what he would do for him and what he would do through him if he would trust and obey. Joseph Parker said, Great lives are trained by great promises. And that was certainly true of Abraham and Sarah. God's covenant gave them the faith and the strength that they needed for this lifelong pilgrim journey that they were on. So understand, we're not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing God's promises to us. And so it was God who graciously gave his covenant to Abraham, and Abraham responded with faith and obedience. Understand this truth. Get this from this part. How you respond to God's promises in his word determines what you will do with your life. How you respond to the promises of God's Word will determine what you do in your life. The Bible records God's many covenants, beginning with the promise of the Redeemer back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and climaxes in the New Testament covenant with the blood of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew word translated covenant has several meanings. It means to eat with. It suggests fellowship and agreement. Uh, the word covenant also means to bind. Uh, sometimes you'll see in the King James Version the, the word fetter, uh, which also means commitment. Or you'll see the word to a lot. Uh, that's also what covenant means, which means sharing in something. When God makes a covenant, he enters into an agreement to commit himself to give what he promises. It is purely an act of grace. It's not based on anything you did or you didn't do. You didn't do or do, do or not do anything that determined whether God was going to show His grace to you or not. It's purely out of His grace and out of His mercy. God didn't give Abraham reasons or explanations. He didn't say, Abraham, here's why I want you to leave uh, the land that you're from. I want you to leave your family because of this. And he'd go on through and explain everything out to him. He didn't give him explanations about everything. He just said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. And he gave him promises. Four times, he says, in verses 1 through verse 2, I will. Back in Genesis chapter 11, you remember when the, the people had, had, were trying to build that city there, uh, they had said, we will in the building of the Tower of Babel. We'll come back to that in just a moment. God had promised to show him a land, to make him a great nation, and to use that nation to bless the whole world. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing to others. That's one of the foundational truths as a believer that you need to realize and understanding. The whole purpose of your blessings that God has given you is so you can be a blessing to others. And his great concern is that the world might believe and might be blessed. 
Uh, think about this. The, the missionary mandate of the church doesn't begin in John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It, it didn't begin in Matthew 28 and verse 18 to verse 20 when he says that all power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, I, I give you that authority. I send you to go and be my witnesses in Judea and Jeru in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It doesn't begin there. It begins with God's covenant with Abraham. We are blessed so that we might be a blessing. Now notice again that contrast in Genesis 11, 1 through 9 and Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Uh, remember that. We said that four times back in Genesis 11, verse 1 through verse 9, the people said, we will. Let us. They said, let us do this. Let us do that. Let us do this. Let us do that. And four times... Here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. At Babel, men wanted to make a name for themselves. But it was God who made Abraham's name great. At Babel, the workers tried to unite men only to divide them. But through Abraham, a whole world has been blessed, and all believers are united in Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, think about this, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 it is the reversal of Babel. Because what happened at Babel? Uh, he, he confused their languages. Nobody could understand each other as they were speaking to one another. At Pentecost... Everybody understood. As the disciples were preaching the gospel to them, everyone understood in their own language. It was, it was, it was a reversal, if you will, of Babel. But Pentecost couldn't have occurred apart from God's covenant with Abraham. Now, for Abraham, what God is calling him to do must have seemed incredible to him and to Sarah that God would bless the whole world through this elderly childless couple. But that's just what God did. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but think about this tonight. If you're here and you're 75 or you're watching online and you're 75 and above, Sarah gave birth after 75. We think that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And, and so they're thinking, how in the world is God going to use us, an elderly couple? We don't even have any children. And, and so uh, that's just what God did, because from them comes the nation of Israel, and from Israel comes the Bible, and from uh, the promises of God's Word comes Jesus the Messiah. God reaffirmed that covenant with Isaac and with Jacob, and he fulfills it in Jesus Christ. In years later, God amplified the various elements of the covenant, but he gave Abraham and Sarah enough truth that they needed to believe him and to set out by faith. Did you know that? God has given you everything you need to know, everything from his word that you need to know to step out by faith and to follow him and his kingdom purpose. So notice as we come to the next section, a compromise. We go back to chapter 11 and verse 27 down through verse 32. So let's read those verses, if you will. 
Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Now we're going to come back to Lot later. So this is Abraham's nephew, Lot. So Haran is his brother, uh, one of his brothers, and this is where Lot comes from. So Abraham, Nahor, Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So understand this, that the steps, the first steps of faith are not always giant steps, which explains why Abraham didn't fully obey God. Instead of leaving his family as he was commanded here, Abraham and his, took his father and his nephew Lot with him and left Ur. And they got to this place, the Bible tells us there, of Haran, and they stopped. They didn't go any further until his father died. Now, whatever you, understand this, whatever you bring with you from your old life into your new life is always going to create problems. We don't see anywhere where God had told him to bring his family with him. In fact, when we come to chapter 12, verse 1, he specifically tells him, I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your family and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And so instead of leaving his family as he was commanded, that's what he did. He took his nephew Lot with him. He took his father with him. Whatever you bring from the old life into your new life creates problems. So Terah, Abram's father, kept Abraham from fully obeying the Lord. And Lot, we're going to find out, creates some serious problems for Abraham until they finally had to agree to part from one another. Abraham and Sarah, they, they, bought, they brought a sinful agreement with them from Ur, and it gets them into trouble twice. We find that when we come to the next passages we're going to look at next week in verse 10 through verse 20. So understand this, but the life of faith demands a total separation from that which is evil and sinful and a total devotion to that which is holy. So as we go through, and we're going to be studying through the life of Abraham for several weeks, we're going to discover that he was often tempted to compromise. And occasionally he falls to the temptations. Understand that God tests us 
And, and he tests us not to cause us to fail. He tests us to build our faith, to bring out the best in us. It's the devil who tempts us to, in, to, to destroy our faith and to bring out the worst in us. So when you walk by faith and you lean alone on God, upon his word, upon his character, upon his will, upon his power, uh, that is where you will begin to walk by faith. We're not supposed to isolate ourselves from our family and friends, but we're to no longer consider them our first love, our first obligation. Your love as a Christian is to be to God first and foremost. It's to be so strong that it makes family look like hatred in comparison. In fact, that's what the New Testament tells us about. God calls us alone, and we must not compromise. Fourthly, we want to see the commitment. The commitment. And you find this in verse 4 down to verse 9. So let's read those verses. So Abram went. Wow. Simple words. But what we see is demonstrating faith. The Lord told him, here's what I want you to do. Abraham went. It kind of reminds us back to Noah when he told him, I want you to build this ark. And what did Noah do? He did it. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So he's still carrying Lot around with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So uh, the 17th century Puritan preacher Thomas Fuller said that all mankind was divided into three classes, the intenders, the endeavorers, and the performers. He, he went on to say that Terah uh, may have been the intender. He intended, but he never made it to the land of promise. Lot was the endeavorer up to a point, but he failed miserably because he couldn't walk by faith. Abraham and Sarah, they were performers because they trusted God to perform what he promised. They committed their lives and they committed their futures to God and obeyed what he commanded and received all that God had planned for them. So notice some things about their faith. Faith brings us out. That's what you see in verse 4 and verse 5. It, it may have been uh, the, uh, a son's love for his aged father that made Abram uh, delay, but the day finally came when he and Sarah had to leave Haran and go to the land that God chose for them. You know, faith and a double mind never go together. And, and because the Bible teaches us, even in the New Testament, you cannot serve two masters. 
for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll despise one and, and, and hate the other. And so you cannot serve two masters. Faith demands commitment. And we see in our society today that commitment is a vanishing commodity in today's world. Many people don't want to be committed to their jobs. They don't want to be committed to their marriage vows or committed to one another. I'm going to do things my way. That's the essence of today's philosophy. That's the attitude that has even pervaded, prevailed sometimes within the church. Uh, many believers won't commit themselves to ministering in one church, but move from church to church to church where, where things change all the time. You know, temporary is a key word today. We don't like it here, so we move over there. We don't like it there, we move over there. And, and so it's just always constantly uh, never committing ourselves to anything. It's a day of fading declarations, Vance Havner said. Church covenants are, are found in the back of hymn books, he said, and they, they faded in the lives of most of church members if they ever meant anything. How many of you know what a church covenant is? You ever seen those? <laughs> few hands. Some of you need to pull one out and read one or go online and look one up, a church covenant. Sometimes they used to be in, in, our, in our hymnals. It, it, declarations of personal dedication begin to grow dim and need to be renewed. Vance Havner said, it's a day of faded declarations. Think about this. Where would we be today if Abraham and Sarah had not committed themselves to the Lord, to obey the Lord by faith? Now, nothing in that says that they were perfect. None of us are ever going to be perfect till we get to heaven. That's what he's working on in our hearts and our lives to one day uh, present us before the Heavenly Father without spot, without blemish. But where would we have been if they had not committed themselves to obey the Lord? Where would we be if previous generations of Christians had not given themselves fully to the Lord? We who come along later need to never take for granted the things that the previous generations paid a great price to attain. May the next generation, here's the fear that the next generation won't be able to look back and to say those people were faithful. Think about that. I hear it from testimony from people here all the time. Heard it back at my last church. Heard it all my life. Uh, that people would always look back and say, you know, so-and-so, they were such a faithful example of following the Lord. You know those people who, who lived here years ago, some of them have gone on to be with the Lord now. And you look back and you say, that was a faithful Christian. I wonder if the next generation is going to look back at us and be able to say that about any of us. He was faithful. She was faithful. What an example of following the Lord by faith she or he was. Faith also brings us in. It not only brings us out, it brings us in. Look again at verse 6, down through verse 8. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. God brings us out 
of the world, out of sin and darkness, into light when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He brings us out so that he can bring us in. We know nothing about the long journey from Haran to Canaan. We don't know what happened as they left Haran and went down to Canaan because it was the destination that was important, not the journey. Centuries later, God would give that land to Abraham's descendants. But when Abraham and Sarah arrived, they were strangers and pilgrims in the midst of a pagan society. When they came into the land of Canaan, understand this, entering Canaan isn't a picture of dying and going to heaven. We used to sing that in some songs of old, talking about Canaan land. But entering Canaan is not a picture of dying and going to heaven. It's a picture of the believer claiming the inheritance by faith. God has appointed a Canaan for every one of his children, and it's obtained only by faith. It's an inheritance that he has for you. And so claiming your inheritance involves tests and temptations and challenges and battles and growing in your faith. God is able to see you through if you'll trust in Him. Because obedience, when you obey the Lord, it leads and builds up assurance in your heart. It builds up assurance and, and gives you new promises from God. That's what verse 7 is talking about here in these new promises. What a comfort it must have brought when Abraham and Sarah had this fresh revelation of God as they come into this strange and dangerous land. Understand this, when you walk by faith, you know that God is with you. And you don't have to be afraid. God is going to work out His promises. He's going to work out His purposes. And He's going to accomplish in and through you all that is in His heart. Most of us aren't commanded like Abraham to, to pull up our stakes and go to some strange country. But the challenges of our faith are just as real. Sometimes there's serious problems in our home. Sometimes there's problems in our, on our job or even in the church. And we wonder, why has God allowed those things to happen to me? And so if you're to claim your spiritual inheritance in Christ, you have to display faith in God's Word and obedience to God's will. Wherever Abraham went in the land of Canaan, he was marked by his tent and his altar. Everywhere he went, he set up a tent. What does that say? The tent showed that he was just a stranger and a pilgrim who did not belong to this land, who did not, in, in, spiritually as we're seeing this, he didn't belong to this world. And, and every time somebody saw him set up his tent, what do we see him do? He builds an altar. And every time he builds one of those altars, uh, that, that altar uh, it, it marks him as a citizen of heaven who worshiped the true and living God. And so every time he builds an altar, he is giving witness to the world that he has separated uh, from the world and devoted himself to the Lord. Whenever Abraham abandoned his tent and his altar, and you'll see this in his life as we go through his life, he got in trouble. Every time he left his tent and he left his altar, he gets in trouble. So what do we see happens in verse 8? He pitches his tent 
with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. You know, Bible names sometimes have significant meanings. Uh, you don't want to press them too far, but, but what does Bethel mean? The house of God. And Ai means ruin. In fact, that's what we're going to find out happens to Ai. It is destroyed. Figuratively speaking, Abraham and Sarah were walking in light from east to west, from the city of ruin to the house of God. Understand that this world system that we live in is in ruins, but true believers ought to turn their back on this world, set your faces towards God's heavenly home. To know this, this is not your home. So no matter how bad it gets here, this is not your home. Heaven's your home. Read about it in the book of Revelation. Read about it in the Gospels in Matthew, what heaven is like and the glorious splendor you're going to experience in heaven one day. So faith brings us in. But notice also that faith brings us on. Verse 9, it says, And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The life of faith never stands still. When you start standing still, you start getting complacent spiritually. And you begin to depend upon yourself, your own resources, what you can do, rather than depending on the promises of God. If your feet are going, your faith is growing. So notice the verbs used to describe Abram's life. He departed in verse 4. He went forth in verse 5. He passed through in verse 6. He removed, uh, he moved in, in verse 8. And he journeyed in verse 9. God kept Abraham moving so that he would meet new challenges and be forced to trust God for new grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews 4.16. Comfortable Christianity is the opposite of a life of faith. Because understand this, pilgrims and strangers have to face new circumstances if you're going to gain new insights about yourself and the Lord. Let us press on to the maturity ought to be our challenge. How did Abraham know where to go? Uh, what did, and what did he do? Uh, notice verse 8 again. And there he built an altar to the Lord and did what? Called on the name of the Lord. He prayed. He prayed to the Lord. And the Lord helped him. And the Lord directed him. And the Lord guided him every step of the way. Abraham's pagan neighbors, his new pagan neighbors, they saw that he had an altar but what was missing from his altar that they always had on their altars? Idols. He didn't have any idols on his altar. It was different from their altar. And so it began to provoke in their hearts, Abram, wouldn't you have idols? Because I serve the true and living God. What a witness he was being. He had no sacred places, but he had the altar of God. You ever thought about this? What if our world and our society changed so much one day that all this was shut down 
and you couldn't go to a church building anymore, would you still be the church? Would you still be a follower of Jesus Christ? I'd say there's some who wouldn't because this is the church to them. Instead of us being filled with the Holy Spirit being the church. And so notice here, he didn't have any sacred building to go to. He didn't have some sacred temple to go to. All he had was his altar. And he built one of those every place he moved and followed the Lord. Wherever he pitched his tent. In fact, you could trace Abraham's steps by the altars he left behind. When he didn't leave an altar behind... You could go back and see that's when he stumbled. That's when he fell to the temptations. Now understand, when he built those altars, though, he wasn't ashamed to worship God openly while his heathen neighbors watched him. So in, in the pilgrim life, you must go from faith to faith and from faith to faith, day by day, Romans 1, 17. If you would go from strength to strength, as Psalm 84, verse 7 says, G.A. Stuttered Kennedy said this. He said, faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of the consequence. Let me say that one more time. He said, faith is not believing in spite of the evidence... It is obeying in spite of the consequence. Knowing that if you, if you live this way, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to be an easy road. There's going to be those who are going to hate you. There are going to be obstacles that you're going to face in this world, but you keep on doing it anyway. That's the consequences. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. In fact, you see that in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, over and over. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed, Hebrews 11, verse 8. Because understand this, as James tells us in James chapter 2, faith without obedience, faith without works is dead. And action without faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. And so what we see is that God has merged faith and obedience like the two sides of a same coin. They go together. And that doesn't mean that sinners are saved by faith plus works. Because Scripture declares that sinners are saved by faith alone. But Dr. Henry Ironside, who was a longtime pastor of Chicago's Moody Church, he was told by a lady uh, that she expected to get to heaven by faith plus her good works. She said it's like rowing a boat. It takes two oars to row a boat. Otherwise, you go around in a circle. Dr. Ironside replied to her and said, that's a good illustration except for one thing. He said, I'm not going to heaven in a rowboat. The faith that saves is the faith that proves itself in good works. The Bible tells us that Abraham was saved by faith. But his faith was made evident by his obedience. And Abraham is now in this text, when he comes to this place, he's now in the place of God's appointment. He's where God wants him to be, doing what God told him to do. But this isn't the end. It's only the beginning. Because even in the place of obedience, you're going to face tests, you're going to face trials, because that's how faith grows. But the same Lord who brought you out 
and brought you in and brought you on in this pilgrim journey is also going to bring you through if you follow him by faith. You know, there's a song that we sing uh, all too often, and here's what it says. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. He drew me closer to his side. I sought his will to know. And in that will I now abide. Wherever he leads, I'll go. It may be through the shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea. I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master, Lord and King. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. The question is, will you? Wherever he leads, will you go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful example and witness from Abraham and Sarah in the very beginnings of their life, before their names are even changed, that makes such an impact with the name change that we'll see later. Here they are as Abram and Sarai, who hear your call upon their lives to leave their kindred, to leave their home, to leave everything they've known and to go to a place that you're going to show them. What faith, Lord, to just simply say, I don't know where you're taking me, Lord. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't really understand why you want me to go, but I'm going to follow you whatever you tell me to do. Wherever you lead, I'll go. No questions. I'll go. Yet so often, Lord, we have questions. We want to know. We don't want to just step out by faith. So, Father, I pray that we'll just begin, just as Abram and Sarah did, one small step of faith after another. And may you grow our faith as we are obedient to your will and to what you've called us to do. May we walk by faith and trust you and follow you 
and be in the center of your will, knowing that as we look at your word, as we study your word, your purpose and your plan for our lives has already been given to us in your word. Help us, Lord, to come back to the word and to stand on the promises of your word and to follow and obey your word, just like Abram, just like Sarah. Lord, what a powerful testimony because we see they weren't perfect and none of us are either. We're going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to have failures along the way. But when we make those mistakes and when we have those failures, Lord, I pray that you'll bring us to the place of repentance, the place that we turn our hearts back to you and say, God, forgive me for stepping out of your will. Forgive me for doing things my way. And help me, Lord, to begin to take those steps again to do what you would have me to do. And may my life be a life of faith that one day the next generation will look back and say, he or she was a man or woman of God. Father, I pray that we'll leave a legacy and a testimony behind us that will inspire in, in others to walk that life of faith also as others have inspired us. And Father, I pray that your blessings will be upon us. I pray, God, that you will bless us, that we can be a blessing to the world around us, just, just to the circles of influence that you placed us in right where we are. Lord, we know we don't have to go someplace around the world to be in the center of your will. If that's your will, Lord, help us to be faithful to do that. But right where we are, in the circles of influence we have, you have brought us here as Esther was for such a time as this. And Father, I pray that we'll be faithful in the time you've given us. Lord, if there are those who are listening or watching online or here tonight in person who have never by faith trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray they'll begin that walk of faith tonight to say, I believe. I believe in my heart that Jesus died on that cross for me and my sin. I believe he arose from the grave on the third day so that I could have eternal life. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I confess my sin. I repent of it, I turn away from it, and I turn to follow you, Jesus. Come into my heart and my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if someone's prayed something like that, Lord, I pray that they will come to publicly profess that faith in Christ. So lead us in this invitation, Lord, to respond by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand and sing our hymn of invitation number 308, will you make your way as the Lord lays on your heart to come? Would you stand as we sing? me not, O oh gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by, Savior, Savior, hear my
Amen. Thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank you for joining us there online. We'll be back Wednesday night uh, in the book of Zechariah for our Bible study then. So come and join us. Awana begins back again after Thanksgiving here. Also on Wednesday, we'll be having choir practice for our Christmas program. So be sure to be here uh, for that if you're part of our choir or if you just want to join our choir for our Christmas uh, music that we're going to be doing uh, on the 17th. So I uh, just want to remind you of that. See you this Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. You have a blessed week and we'll see you then.